This episode is brought to you by the ASIAL Go app, free and exclusive to ASIAL members. Find the latest security industry news, updates, events, publications, resources, and much more. Simply go to your app store and search for ASIAL Go to install. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the ASIAL Security Insider podcast. And today we are catching up with Peter Johnson, Compliance Affairs Manager at ASIAL. Peter, how are you? John, well, thank you very much. And yourself? Very well, thank you. And today we are talking about licensing and the myriad of issues around that. This seems to be a subject that keeps coming up again and again and again. John, you're quite correct. It's one of the ones that ASIAL members and the industry generally constantly are challenged by because everyone knows licensing is a requirement, but what licensing do you need? Where do you need it? And it's a constant thing because we are a federated country of states and territories, but the Australian constitution doesn't permit the federal government to have a national licensing scheme for private security. So it's all jurisdictional based. And that's where we have jurisdictions all around Australia that vary. And the legislation is not the same. And we have regulators in each jurisdiction. We have generally government agencies, of course. Three states, New South Wales, Victoria and Western Australia, are a police-regulated security licensing system. And the other jurisdictions are a variation of other government agencies. But the thing being is that if you are doing a security activity, you're required to be licensed. And just one question that came up from a Queensland member this morning was they have a national client. They service the client in Queensland. The client now wants them to do all their security work around Australia. What do we need? And the answer is, are you going to do a security activity in a jurisdiction that requires a security license? You're required to be licensed in that jurisdiction from your firm. Now, we hear all whether it's a security firm license, a master license. So we have a firm license in Queensland, a master license in New South Wales, a master license in the ACT, a security business license in Victoria and a security business registration in Victoria, an agent's license in Tasmania, uh, South Australia, in Western Australia, and a firm license in Northern Territory. So we've got a variety of, of titles, but they're all basically the same. So if you're doing a security activity, you need a license for your business. And that means that if you cross borders to do it, you need a license. And they say, well, we're going to contract across the border, so we're not going to be doing it ourselves. And the really the question they have to ask is, who is going to invoice the client? And if the client is being invoiced by you, you're actually doing the work, whether you are by subcontract arrangement or your own employees, you are doing the work from a business point of view. So that's where the, the first point is, is that are you the provider of the security service? And that's one of the things people don't realise. And so that's a that's a constant question is, do I need a licence? And the answer is yes. If you work in a jurisdiction, you need a licence. There are some variations, and we can talk about those in a minute. Okay, uh, let me just jump in there for a second, because I want to clarify that point for anyone who's listening. So even if I don't enter the state in which the work is being conducted, even if none of my direct employees enter the state in which the work is being conducted and I am purely contracting people in that state with a license to do that work, 
I still need to have a license. Yes, the only jurisdiction that's got a variation to that is the ACT. So if you're a security firm in Queensland and your client wants you to provide some security services in Canberra, you could engage another security provider and not hold a an a, a master license in the ACT. But every other jurisdiction, it's holding yourself out, it's providing the license, you are the one contracted to do the service. And so if anything goes wrong in that jurisdiction, the client will take action against you and your insurance will be covering you. And maybe that clause in your insurance policy says you're required to be licensed and hold the licenses. So even if you think the law is a little bit vague, when it comes down to problems and addressing problems, you may find yourself placing yourself at risk if you do not get an appropriate license in each jurisdiction. So the broad answer is yes, that's the black letter law. Sometimes you can find variations. One of the variations would be we had discussions with the New South Wales regulator at one stage where the person was advertising out of Victoria the installation of security cameras and access control systems. A client in New South Wales responded to the online inquiry form, purchased cameras, purchased install access control system, and the provider in Victoria, an internet online provider with appropriately licensed in Victoria, arranged subcontractors in New South Wales. And the regulator said, look, it's just so complicated. The black letter is that they should be licensed. But if they step foot in that state, they would definitely need one. But the risk to the businesses, are there, uh, is their insurance covering them? Because the black letter law would say, yes, they need to be licensed. So it's one of those areas where people say, oh, I'm only just crossing the border. I'm only just doing one job for one client. The thing being is, you may be placing your business at risk. And that's where licensings require you to be licensed. And if you have insurance, the insurance may require you to be licensed. And if you have made a deliberate decision not to be licensed and something does happen, if you're a company, the veil of protection for the director may actually be removed as well. So you can see that the compounding aspects of risks to your business increases when you actually make a decision not to be licensed. Apart from being illegal, you're placing yourself at greater risk. So it is jurisdictional based. But then we say, well, the regulators want to know who's in their state. They 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 won't have a national licensing system because it's just so complex at the moment. We'd love one. In actual fact, Asia has written a model piece of legislation that will actually have some a national transferable licensing position, so a, a home-based license position. And hopefully in the next few years, that'll get some legs and regulators will start to look at it. And hopefully we'll get some decisions out of regulators. But licensing is one of those issues. So a firm needs to be licensed. In most jurisdictions, the firm needs to be licensed with an individual identified. Now, Very there, complicated there, there, there was a situation some years ago, and I don't know if it still exists, so it would be interesting to get your read on this, where there were uh, provisions within licensing whereby companies were allowed to engage in-house services to either install equipment or provide security. Let's say large retailers were allowed to hire their own in-house retail security staff that then didn't require those people to be licensed. Is that still the case or has that since been removed? It really is. It still exists, John. And 
but in variations in again in jurisdictions the thing being is that if you have an employee you're doing work on your equipment in many most jurisdictions you can have that person provide that service for you the question being is that what other security activities and what you're referring to was predominantly in Queensland and Victoria whereby you could have a guard in a security uniform on your gate checking vehicles in and out and that person if employed by you were not required to hold a security license same thing if that person was providing guarding services to your premises any other way that was a basically an in-house security function and was permitted and is still permitted in Queensland and Victoria to a degree. Um, you get variations of that where that would not be applicable to a crowd control uh, situation. But a basic uh, guard uh, providing that service, we saw that experience where an, inter an employee was injured in the workplace on a, a factory production line. The employee was a long-term employee uh, well regarded by the company, well regarded by the union, and ultimately the only job they really thought suitable for the person was to put them in a uniform and they could be some form of uh, security for the business and they performed a concierge service at the front desk. Um, they were security and they actually provided some gate services as well. So that person didn't need a licence. That is in Victoria and Queensland. We're going to see in the near future probably a change to that in Victoria because Victorian Private Security Act is changing. So that's going to be a licensable change. We don't know all the fine details yet. We're looking forward to receiving some information from the government in Victoria sometime this before the, well, in the next six months. And we believe that 2024 we'll see a change in legislation. One of the other things, John, that we see in licensing is the, is the establishment of businesses and how they're established and accountants and lawyers have great advice for uh, clients on how their business should be established and for tax minimization purposes and there's nothing wrong with that it's a le legitimate function but sometimes they don't quite understand the licensing of security firms and sometimes an example would be we had a company in Queensland whereby there was two businesses. One basically employed the staff. The other one provided the operation. So one company provided it to the other company, but only one company was actually holding a security license. And that was current for 12 years that the one company held the license. They believed they were doing the right thing. And it wasn't until the Queensland government introduced some change in legislation where all security firms in Queensland were required to undertake a secure an audit by the association they were members of every three years. And it was during that process that that it was understood that their structure was not compliant with licensing. But from a business point of view and a taxation point of view, there was nothing wrong with it. Although now we have the complexity of labour hire impacting upon licensing in Queensland and licensing in Victoria in a big way. So business structures one of the areas they need to be compliant with and also when it comes down to it security licensing is about an ABN ACN it's about the entity and that can't be changed the names can be changed the individuals can be changed but not the entity so at, a very, at times it can be a confusing situation and quite demanding in 
the process. And I guess the process is something we've had a lot of uh, questions over in recent times in the delay of licensing processes. Okay. What about consulting? Because I know that this can be another area that a lot of people feel is uh, is sometimes challenging where they're traveling between states then and territories and they're offering advice. How does it work with licensing for consultants in the security space? Same situation, John. They're a security, they're providing, if they're providing a security activity, now all consulting is not a security activity. Is it a consulting on risk management? Is it a consulting on safety? Or is it a consulting on security procedures or security system, access control system? So they're the areas that then it becomes, what consulting is it? If it is a security activity, a license is required by the individual and the business providing that person would also be required to hold a consultant's license. That's not all jurisdictions. That's a variety of jurisdictions. Um, Queensland Class 2 is install and advise. New South Wales has an advisory capacity within an installer's license, but also uh, required for a consultant to hold a different license. Uh, Tasmania, uh, again, it's, it's not quite a requirement there. Victoria, it is a, a, a Class B license uh, or a registration for an advisor. And Western Australia, it's, uh, you need a license to advise. Um, so there are slight variations, again, in each jurisdiction. For a consultant, you don't need qualifications in majority of jurisdictions, but you do need qualifications as a consultant where you are a recognised consultant in New South Wales and a recognised consultant in Western Australia. Um, so there are qualifications required there. But remember, the person that holds a business agent's licence in South Australia is also required to have some qualifications. But the individual that is a nominated person in Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria don't need to hold any qualifications to be the nominated person of the security firm. And then we get to Tasmania, we've got a, a whole, again, a variation of, yes, for the protective services area, which is the guards and the crowd control and uh, close personal protection. That's all covered by licensing. But the technical area in Tasmania, no licensing at all. Unfortunately, the story could be that you could come out of jail in Tasmania today and install a security alarm tomorrow. And if you had a cabling registration, you would actually be completely legal. No problems at all. You could run the wires. But if you didn't have anything to do with the wiring, you could turn around and uh, uh, service, repair, maintain, install a security equipment in Tasmania as there is no legislation down there. So that's one that we're trying to work with with South, uh, the Tasmanian government as well. So you can see a lot of variations and that's why yeah. people sometimes get confused. Yeah, definitely. Now, we're, we're coming up on sort of, you know, close to 20 minutes. So I want to start getting some resolution around this for some of the people listening. But we mentioned the the confusion around people engaging people in other states and thinking that they don't need to be licensed in that state if they're not setting foot in the state. What are some of the other more common mistakes that you're seeing people come unstuck with around licensing? Licensing applications and processes. For a business, it is change of directors, right. change of owners, close associates, failing to actually advise the regulator of those changes. Naturally, the business still continues. The business license still continues, 
that in most jurisdictions there's an offence for failing to advise the regulator that a director's changed or that a close associate's changed. And the area of close associate becomes confusing because if you, again, literally read some of the legislation in different jurisdictions, you, you need to actually advise the regulator that every manager is a close associate. But really, it is, is it a person that is able to impact upon the decision process of the business? So therefore, if you have directors and owners of a company, you may have a general manager that is not a director of the company or a shareholder, but that general manager is naturally a close associate. So those people in those positions would be, be considered a close associate. So one of the things is that the failure to advise the regulator of a change of a business, and that is a significant impact. Uh, they're there, the things that really start to, where in the past the regulators have not really had a great transparency, but now regulators, like the rest of us, using the internet and access uh, systems. So therefore they can check government and ASIC records very quickly to see if there's been a change in directors. And that's part of the regulator's compliance strategy to ensure compliance. And so a number of firms will find themselves, if they're taken, like in New South Wales, if they've committed that offence or failed to advise the regulator, that's a $2,200 penalty notice. If they don't like that, they could go to court and it would be $11,000 plus penalty. So therefore, for the failure to just do a bit of paperwork, it's a potential $2,200 penalty. So it's a big risk to organisations. That's one of the ones we see on a regular basis because organisations change. The other one we see is when a business is sold, is that they, they want to sell or they want to sell the business. And the thing being is, Naturally, a good accountant and a lawyer will say, try not to buy the A, B and A, C, N, because you may be buying a lot of historical problems that will be your responsibility when you buy the business. But the problem yeah. being, John, is that if you don't buy the A, B and A, C, N, the license is not be able to transfer with you. So the question being is, if you are buying or selling a business, the question is, are you selling the clients or are you selling the clients and the business? because the license will not transfer to any new owners, because as, as I said before, a license relates to the ABN, ACN, and so long as that, that has to remain. So you can't just have a business transferred uh, without the license ABN, ACN. So that's another one we see on a regular basis. Um, so the other one is becomes complex is um, trusts. They're a complex area. New South Wales, trusts are not permitted. Queensland, maybe Victoria, if you've got evidence of relationships. So trust can become a problem. And again, it's a matter of which entity is actually providing the service. It's usually the trustee through a trustee business as a holding the security firm license. Uh, but in actual fact, the invoicing is through a trust ABN. So what is the relationship, the responsibility? Sometimes New South Wales has considered it and find that because an, a trust is not a legal entity per se, uh, they've decided that the trust is not uh, able to hold a security firm license. So um, there are those complexes as well where, again, it's a good decision by accountants and lawyers, but in actual fact, it may not be compliant with security licensing. And that means if you have a trust in Victoria, you may not be able to get it, or you won't be able to get a New South Wales license in that same entity.
Right. You'll have to have a different entity. So there we get variations again that people don't quite recognise and uh, they need to get legal advice. They need to seek legal advice and uh, talk talk to their associations. Asia, although we don't provide legal advice, we really can place the matter before them to make informed decisions. And that's what it's all about, having the information in front of you, being able to discuss it with people and to make informed decisions to keep yourself compliant and keep yourself out of trouble. That's basically it. Now, one last question coming back to a point that you made earlier around the sale of businesses. When when you're looking to sell a business, there's two parts to this that I've heard come up in previous conversations. One is where we're looking to sell a business and one of the directors who is looking to buy the business may have um, relationships with someone who is considered not a fit and proper person. Um and so how do I address that if I'm wanting to sell a business to someone and I don't know their, the background of the relationships they have with them? And in that similar vein, what happens if I, as a director of a security company, have, say, a brother-in-law or a family member who is indicted for a, a serious offence and found and convicted of, of that offence, now all of a sudden I'm in a position where I have a relationship with someone who might be considered a, an undesirable person. You may not be able to answer this question, but I have heard stories around this where how does that impact my licence? You can choose your friends, can't choose your family. Yeah. <laughs> the thing being is, is what is the relationship to the business and what is your relationship to the person? If in fact the person with the criminal uh, conviction and it is one of those offenses that is brings distribute to the industry to the person to the company and contrary to the legislative requirements depending on the influence of that person on the business they may be a close associate and they would not be able to have anything to do with the business and that may create a problem for you to continue with that person we find where that happens, the person's got to step away totally from the business. We know some people are mischievous in their conduct and they become shadow directors, different influences. Say they're not associated with the business, but is still actually in the fence. Those people are not able to work in the business. We see that New South Wales are just strengthening that, and that's time for another discussion, is the changes to the New South Wales legislation. But they are strengthening the area whereby even if you work in a business and have information available that a security firm has, relation to clients, if that person was not able to get a license themselves, they would not be able to work in that business. You take that, expand that to your close associates, to your family, friends. If they are working in the business, if they have influence on the business, you may actually need to create separation from them and the business to enable your license to be maintained. That's because they are not a fit and proper person. And depending on your relationships, you may not be a fit and proper person. And you may have to justify that relationship or explain that relationship to the regulator to maintain the license. That may be a questionable or a part of their investigation. They ask questions. You need to be able to answer those questions openly and honestly. So is it incumbent upon me as the person selling the business to do any sort of probity checks or background checks on the people who are buying the business to ensure that they can, or is that entirely their due diligence, their problem? 
that's in time really it's it's you are selling your business you don't have a requirement they have a requirement by purchasing the business by changing the directors to notify the regulator and to also therefore notify the regulator, the regulator of any other close associate being a person that could influence the financial or decision making of the business. So that's the group that's purchasing the business. They would have that legal responsibility as they would be the owners of the new entity. Therefore, they would have the responsibility to inform the regulator. If the regulator found their background questionable, they would then indicate that that person was not able to be a director of the company or a close associate or anything to do with the business. And therefore, you would have to create that separation of ownership or business. Right. Peter, if people want to know more about this, because you deal with this sort of stuff all day, every day in your role as compliance officer for, or manager for ASIL, how do they get in contact with you? You just contact the ASIL secretariat or you email me at peter at asial.com.au. And this is part of the service that ASIL offers, correct? So if you're an ASIL member, you're happy to have these discussions with people. What if they're not an ASIL member? Being the peak body, we do see that we have a responsibility to educate. We don't go into the details and support like we do with a member, but we will at least indicate briefly as to what their requirements are. But uh, certainly for members, this is part and parcel of their membership. Sometimes it's complex, sometimes we don't have the answers for them, but we can provide research and at least guide them in the direction so they can actually seek appropriate legal advice to be make the appropriate decisions. Fantastic. Well, Peter, thank you very much for your time. And until next month, we, uh, we look forward to catching up with you again. Take care. Look after yourself. And ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, if you've enjoyed this podcast, there are plenty more like this one in the ASIAL Security Insider series. You can find them on uh, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Blurberry, uh, the Google Play Store, and all the other great places that you can find amazing podcasts. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode. Have a great day.